God able. It has been my experience that my Christian life has been one time after another coming up against something new. I realize that God has brought me this far, wherever that is. I realize that I have never yet run into anything that God cannot handle. And yet, the temptation is always there the next time to think, well, maybe God just doesn't understand this situation. Or maybe God, whatever His motives, doesn't care. Or He's not going to do anything about it. But you know, He always does care. He always can handle it. And He always does act. Not because all of us are always as faithful and as full of faith as Daniel was, but just because He cares. Because He's faithful even when we're not. Is God able? Examine the text with me. First of all, verses 1 to 9. This is maybe the best thing you've heard all year to take notes on. Any poorness of this is my fault, and any excellence is the responsibility of Charles Stanley. And the meat is here, whether it's dressed up pretty or not. You want to remember it. Number one, God is able to place you where He wants you how He wants you, when He wants you. God is able to place you how, when, and where He wants you. Why was Daniel where he was? Daniel was there because the hand of the sovereign God moved in the affairs of men, and this man as a young teenage boy was deported from Judah to Babylon. And being deported to Babylon, he found favor with some of his captors. They moved him into the king's household for training in the service of the royal family. And while he was there early on, his ability, an excellent spirit, the text calls it, was seen. And he survived many changes in the government and those above him and around him. But he got there and he stayed there because the sovereign God placed him where he wanted him. And a principle to remember is very simply this. If you will obey God, you never need to worry where you're going to end up. If you will obey God, you never need to worry about where you end up. If God will not promote you, you had better not promote yourself. That goes for the ministry. I think many of you know how badly I would like to have left this city for several months. And I haven't learned nearly everything I need to learn yet, but I have finally learned one thing. I'll not ever move again until God says so. And if God can't promote you, not only in the ministry, but in your job at school, if God can't promote you, you had better not promote yourself. For if there is a place of prominence where God does not want you to be, you'd better not be there. Because if you are, you'll be on your own. Prominence is of very little value in life unless it is the prominence that is the gift of God to you. You may claw and scratch your way to the top, in whatever you're trying to do, but unless God 
has given you that prominence as his gift, you will not stay there, and your latter state will be worse than your former. For prominence to be worth anything must be the gift of God to your life. And a thing to remember about where you are that God puts you, remembering that He puts you where He wants you, in the way He wants you and when He wants you there. And a thing to remember about it is this. When God has you where He wants you, nobody can move you until God is through with you there. Nobody can take you out of the place God has put you until God is through with you in that place. God is able to place us where He wants us. He's able to place us there when He wants us to be there and how He wants us to be there. And there's something to beware of, and this chapter illustrates it very well. When God promotes you, watch out. Because when God promotes you, the world will persecute you. You can mark it down. It will always happen. When God promotes, the world persecutes. Notice verse 4. Now, if you were in the court in Babylon right after Darius the Mede had led a successful coup and the government had changed hands and there was a new king and you were one of the career bureaucrats in the government and the new list of all the officials had just been posted. You may have been among the 120 presidents that were set over all areas of the government work. But then there were three guys that were up there ahead of everybody else. Now, if there had been three that were equal, Daniel might not have had a problem. But you see, there weren't. There were three above everybody, and one of them was number one, and that was Daniel. Right then and there is where his trouble started. If you were in the court and you asked one of these disgruntled presidents, counselors, captains, or whatever, well, how's the new government going? Well, everything's all right. You, you know, kings are kings. They come and go. But I'll tell you what. They've got a dumb foreign exile named Daniel, and he's running everything. Well, what's wrong with Daniel? I don't like him. But what's wrong with Daniel? What's he done? I just don't like him. I don't like his attitude. He acts like he's better than everybody else. Well, hasn't he done anything? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to find it, whatever it is. Verse 4. Am I true to the text? Look at this. The presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now, the attitude was this. They didn't want to wait until Daniel made a mistake. They wanted to go and find one. They already had their minds made up about Daniel. They didn't care what he did, good, bad, or indifferent. They made up their minds about him and they wanted to find something to bring him down with, so they went to looking. Watch out. When God promotes you, the world will persecute you. Dr. Stanley goes on to point out this. Little men 
always persecute big men. Little men always persecute big men. And you will always find two characteristics involved in what they do. Number one, there is flattery. Flattery. They came to the king and they said, Oh, king, live forever. You're the greatest. Flattery and falsehood. Notice this. Live forever. There's flattery. Falsehood. Verse 7. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains have consulted together. Two things to remember. Two things to remember. Number one, don't ever say all or everybody. It just ain't so. Number two, remember this. It doesn't matter how many people are involved in a thing. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Now, you know, there was just one detail they forgot to tell the king about. Everybody in the kingdom was for this except number one. They were all for it except the best one of the bunch, and they left him out of the process. <coughs> Flattery and falsehood are always used by little men when they attack big men. How do you react to it when it happens? How do you react? You can react in two ways. You can, number one, look down on the little people and focus all of your attention on them. That's always a mistake. Or, refusing to let them ruin your life, you can keep looking to the Lord and just commit them to Him and let Him worry about them. And that's the way to handle it. Little men always attack big men using flattery and falsehood. You may react by giving them all of your attention, but if you do, it will ruin your life. Or you may look to God and let Him take care of them. Don't ever sign anything, by the way, without reading it first. That's what Darius did, and it almost got him in a heap of trouble. Don't ever sign anything without reading it first. And then number 2, verses 10 to 13. God is able to provide your needs, whatever they are. Whatever they are, remember that. God is able to provide them. Now, what did Daniel do when he found out that his enemies had pulled off a major victory in their battle to bring him down? He didn't go home and go in bed and pull the covers over his head. What did he do? We read in this passage that he went home and it's beautiful to see that his windows were already open toward Jerusalem. You see, when the exiles went, the prophets told them when they prayed to face the east toward the city of Jerusalem and there offer their prayers to God that he would bring them home to their city and restore its fortunes. And his windows were already open because three times a day he was there in front of that window looking toward Jerusalem praying to God. Now, Daniel could have circumvented this thing real easy. You know that? He could have gotten out of it real easy. All he'd had to do was say, Oh, why am I going to fool those guys? I'm going to pray with my eyes wide open and my mouth shut standing up. Now, what would have been wrong with that? You see, he would have been changing his custom and his practice and the way that he honored his God just because somebody was trying to put him down for it. He refused to do it. What did he do? He just went right ahead with his normal routine. 
not covering up, changing, hiding it, or anything else. And they decided that they were going to watch him until they caught him doing something that was against this new law. Well, they didn't have to watch very long. Because the first day, the first thing he did, he heard, well, there's a new law. Nobody can pray to anybody or talk to any God except the king. He said, oh, that's nice. By the way, forgive me. I've got to go and pray. He didn't interrupt his normal routine. He just went right ahead and did what honored God the most. Because he believed that God could provide his needs, whatever they were. Daniel's retreat was prayer. And I believe that it is true, you will find in life, that if you can learn to pray effectively, you can conquer anything that comes along no matter what it is. I don't think that I used to believe that. I read where a great preacher of another generation said the greatest sin in the world is prayerlessness. And I didn't believe it. But I tell you, if you don't believe the truth and if you belong to God, God will let, as Dr. Bill Gillum says, a little bit of all things come into your life and you will find yourselves on the bottom looking up with nothing to do but talk to God about it. Dr. Stanley says, when you find your knees trembling, kneel on them. When you find a man who knows how to pray, you cannot shake him. For he knows that the anchor of his soul is found within the great and loving heart of God Almighty, and that nothing life can do can take away the blessing of God on his life. Daniel decided this, and this is worth remembering. Not to bow and pray, by the way. That's no big deal. There's no great sin in that. He could have prayed standing up, really. But Daniel decided that he would rather be literally devoured by his enemies than be unfaithful to God. Daniel decided that he would rather be devoured by his enemies than be unfaithful to God. I believe that Daniel had discovered not only a ritual to practice, but a power to live by. Daniel had discovered the power of prayer, and a man who prays three times a day just doesn't have time to forget God and get depressed. You cannot shake someone who truly knows how to pray. And whatever the need, whatever the circumstance, however great the enemy looks, you remember that God is able to provide all of your needs, no matter what they are. Then verses 14 to 23, notice this. God is able to protect you from all harm. God is able to protect you from all harm. Most of us, if we had managed to get out of that den of lions, mi minus a few fingers and toes or a gash in our side, missing a little flesh here and there, but alive, we'd have been pleased. But if God, listen, if God's going to preserve you, He's not going to get you through by the skin of your teeth. He's going to get you through untouched. Untouched. 
Notice in this passage that when they sprung this thing about Daniel on the king, he was sore displeased with himself. He didn't point an accusing finger at those who had tricked him because you see, like Harry Truman, he had a sign tattooed on his throne that said the buck stops here. He was responsible. His was the ultimate responsibility and he knew that he had to bear it. Let's pause for a moment and look at Darius. Darius had committed himself to a thoughtless act without considering the consequences. He had been flattered. King, you're such a great king, why don't we just say that nobody can pray to anybody but you? You're as powerful as all of the gods anyway. He had been lied. Everybody thinks it's a good idea. And he had very thoughtlessly committed himself to a foolish course of action without considering the consequences. And Darius was sore displeased with himself. Hasn't it been your experience that when you have been deliberately or thoughtlessly disobedient to God, it eats you up? Darius rolled up his sleeves. Now, he's not ready to let God be God yet. But he's realized his mistake. Darius rolled up his sleeves and set his mind on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored all day until the setting of the sun to try to find a way to get out of the dumb thing that he'd done. But he couldn't do it because the time for a human remedy had passed. It was too late. Now, you might have had a hard time telling Darius this, but if we might editorialize just a little bit, I would say to Darius, Darius, old buddy, you blew it, but you're right where God wants you to because when you've run out of solutions, God will take over. And if, if, when, or maybe I should say as, you and I, as Christians, decide that we're going with the best of intentions and noblest of goals to run our lives the way we see fit, God, you may be assured, will let things come to an impasse where there is no human solution to your need. Just like he did to Darius. Now, what did they do? They went and they sealed the den. This is rather like something else. Darius took his signet ring, went down to the lion's den, they dropped some hot wax on it, and he sealed it with the signet of the kingdom, which meant that nobody would better mess with it. I remember another time when they put a body in what they thought was a tomb, and they rolled a stone over it, and they sealed it with the seal of Rome. You see, they hadn't learned from this experience that when you put God's man in what you fancy to be a tomb and seal it up, if God doesn't want him to stay in there, there isn't anything you can do to keep him. They sealed it up. Darius, now this is interesting, because as they're walking to the lion's den, old Darius says, now Daniel, you know that that God you love so much, he'll take care of you, buddy. 
Now, if he really believed that, he'd have gone home and slept like a baby. But he didn't. He went home, and the sleep fled from his eyes. He wouldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. All he could do was toss and turn and fancy that he heard in the distance the sound of gnarling and growling, the crunching of bones and the gushing of blood. Darius couldn't sleep. He had deliberately disobeyed what was right, and it tore him up. Meanwhile, back in the lion's den, old Daniel had walked in there, and we have no indication from the Scripture that Daniel showed any sign of fear at all. And the lions probably never had seen anybody like that. But whether they had or not, they may have been awfully hungry. In fact, knowing this bunch of fellows that was after Daniel, they probably were hungry. They probably down to eating each other. But God shut their mouths, and Daniel slept even though the king didn't. In his sermon, Dr. Charles Stanley tells of a time that helped change his life. He said, and I quote, there was a time when there were some folks who wanted to do to me what these fellows wanted to do to Daniel, and I knew it. I was distressed and distraught and upset about it. One day an older lady in our congregation called me, and I was very busy that day, but she said, Pastor, I want you to come by and eat lunch with me at my house today. He said, before I really thought about it, even though I didn't have time, I accepted her invitation. And after we had eaten and then had a pleasant visit, she said, now I want you to come upstairs with me and I want to show you something. She said, he said, as we went upstairs and into one of the bedrooms, she turned on the light and pointed out a painting on the wall. And he said, that painting is the very familiar painting that shows Daniel standing among the lines looking toward the ray of light that's coming down through the hole at the top. And she said, now I want you to tell me everything that you see. He decided to play along with her, and he said, well, there's a couple of bones and a little bit of blood on the floor from the last customer. The lions are laying down. Some of them are asleep. Some of them are looking at Daniel, and some of them are just looking off to the side. There's a ray of light coming down. Daniel's standing there in the middle of them. He went and described everything that he saw, and you probably have seen this picture too. And she said, now, is that everything that you see? He said, yes. She said, son, you've missed something very important. I want you to look again, and what I want you to notice is that Daniel is not looking at the lions. Charles Stanley said, just like God did it, that old lady wrapped her arm around me. God filled me up, took care of my fears, and he says when I went down the elevator to the ground floor from her apartment building, I never did go down and I haven't been down since. Daniel wasn't looking at the lions. He was standing there looking toward the light having a pleasant conversation with the Father. You need to remember that God is able to protect you from all harm. All harm, no matter what it is, God 
is able to protect you. Then I want you to notice in verse 24. Well, let's back up just a minute. I, I, I was going to pass this up, but I don't think I will. In verses 22 and 23, Daniel told them at a distance, no, no hurt has been done to me because God is pleased with me and God protected me. Now, they lifted him up out of the den. And if you can imagine the incredulity of these Babylonians who hated Daniel's guts trying to figure out how he did it. It says in verse 23, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. They inspected him. They debriefed his body. And no manner of hurt, no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Then notice in verse 24, God is able to punish your persecutors. Now my point is very simply this. Daniel didn't lift a finger against his enemies. But God took care of them. And Scripture says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You'd better watch out whenever you begin to take vengeance on anybody. I will tell you why. Because the moment you do, you break your fellowship with God and you put yourself in the same category they're in. Now what happened to Daniel's persecutors? What happened to them was what they planned for him. What happened to them was what they tried to do to Daniel. And Dr. Charles Stanley says, and I have checked it out in other scriptures back through the law of Moses, I believe that he's right. He says that when you are out of God's will, hindering God's will, persecuting somebody else, you may always be sure that what you tried to do to them will happen to you. I will leave the application of that to your fertile imagination. But I'll say this. I would not want to be in the place of those who persecute each other any more than I'd want to be in the place of these men who tried to get Daniel. Remember that God, if He wants to do it, is able to punish your persecutors. Then verses 25 and 26, God is able to proclaim His power through your obedience. What if Daniel had short-circuited this whole thing? Daniel was God's man. And failing to pray publicly was no great sin. They'd have kept trying to get Daniel. Their attempts would have been sillier and sillier. There would have been a power struggle and Daniel probably would have come out on top. But if Daniel had failed to obey God, he would have robbed God of an opportunity to demonstrate his power. You obey God and let Him worry about the consequences. For when you obey God, it gives Him an opportunity to display His power. God may be wanting the opportunity to deliver you from your den of lies. And if you give up, give in, back off, back down, go away, God will be deprived of a golden opportunity to bear his mighty arm before the world and deliver you. And then notice in verses 27 and 28, God is able to prosper you if you obey him. And the principle is this. 
Obedience is always followed by blessing. Obedience is always followed by blessing. Do you not see, can you not think of times in your own life, your own life, when you have followed the line of least resistance, done the thing that seemed most reasonable, whatever that means, and deprived God Almighty from an opportunity to prosper you and to deliver you and to bless you. Obedience is always followed by blessing. 